Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Brewers Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Happy Friday. Welcome. Great to have you with us here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. We'll get into the playoffs and the schedule in a few moments. Everything was took place last night. We'll get into it today. And then some guests to talk with as well. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. This is going to be a beautiful weekend. Warm. Warm day today. Right? Go over to Brewers Outlet. Stock up now. Imports, domestics, microbrews. They have the best selection of beer anywhere. They have lots of wine coolers. Oh, so much water. Soft drinks. Need to load up on lots of snacks this weekend. They roast their peanuts fresh and out every day. It's a warm day, and they got six great flavors of slushies. And the pickle bar, led by my two reigning favorites, the Barrels and the Dills, indeed second to none. It is all at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Kia Hyundai, the best in new inventory, great pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. And... A fabulous service department that backs it all up every step of the way from the routine to the difficult. They take care of it at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 to 15, Hummel's Wharf Online, sunburymotors.com. Playoffs in a moment, and then uh, we'll also talk about the schedule release. Now, they're, you know, even though yesterday was so much of it was leaked, but at least we'll go through it for you. Matt will give his predictions for you on uh, Monday as to what he thinks everybody in the NFC East will do, along with the Steelers. It's always a dramatic moment in the show. We can't wait. And the the transfer portal is something that every time I make a speech somewhere, it's brought up, along with name, image, and likeness, obviously. Since August 1st, now the first year of the transfer portal, First year of the transfer portal, there were something like 4,600 names in it through every division, FBS, FCS, Division 2, 3. This year it has swelled to about 8,600. And in FBS since August 1st, since August 1st, 3,200 plus since August 1st in the transfer portal. Wow. All right, a lot to talk about. Playoffs as well as the schedule release as we continue. Brought to you by Brewers Outlet on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Uh, welcome back. Great to have you with us on this Friday. Brought to you by our great friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Oh, feel this weather today. It may say spring, but it feels more like summer. That means you need to stock up for the weekend right now, okay? And start thinking about late, uh, about Memorial Day as well. Start thinking about Memorial Day. It's just a few weeks away. 
So stock up at Brewers Outlet. Imports Domestics Microbrews, the best selection of beer anywhere. Wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks, lots and lots of snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. Six great flavors of slushies and the pickle bar, led by the barrels and the dills, indeed second to none. It's all at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. And again, when you sit back and look at the schedule coming up, I mean, look how nice it is this weekend. And Memorial Day is just down the road. Stock up at Brewers Outlet now. We're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. All right. So this is, uh, we'll start with the Sixers, uh, the Home teams just have not done well in the series. Let's be honest about it. So the Sixers go to Boston on Sunday. And sure, the Celtics are at home, but what has home court meant so far this season or so far during this playoff? I mean, across the board, what has home court or home ice meant uh, to this point? But the Celtics went in last night, put together a huge fourth quarter. The Sixers only scored 13 fourth quarter points last night. In fact, Jason Tatum outscored the Sixers himself. In the fourth quarter, Tatum was just, I mean, let's face it, just not even remotely close to being good for the first three quarters of the game last night. I think he was one for his first 14 or something like that. But he scored 16 points in the fourth. The Sixers scored 13. Talking about coming alive. And then Marcus Smart did his party at 22, Jalen Brown at 17. What struck me about the Sixers last night is they got back into the game after being down twice by 16 points and then took leads, but they could never get more than the two-point lead. That was one. You know, it was something about climbing them out, but they had chances to build multiple possession advantages and couldn't do it. And then they went half court. Uh, more often than not, they really slowed the game down. And then they started running two-man games, but not with Harden and Embiid. They started running two-man games with Maxi and Embiid. And you could do that once in a while as a changeup. You can't do that as the steady diet. And that was, I think, the mistake that they made last night. Uh, and that was a big, I think, a big part of it. Uh, and you know, Harden ended up going four or sixteen last night. He was oh a six and three. The Celtics' defense was the difference, especially in the fourth quarter when they gave up 13. Because remember, the Sixers had one great quarter last night. That was the third quarter. They scored 30 points in the third quarter last night. But the Celtics' defense, the difference, 13 in the fourth, 86 overall. Celtics won at 95 to 86. So now it goes back to Boston. Again, home court hasn't meant anything. But this could be the one time it does mean something. And they will play on Sunday for the right to go to the Eastern Conference Final. And Phoenix got blown out last night by Denver in Phoenix. I know they didn't have DeAndre Ayton last night, but it was a total route start to finish in the game. Um, You're talking about 18-point advantage after the first quarter, led by 30 at halftime. You're not going to be challenged after that. And so Nikola Jokic and uh, Jamal Murray and company advance to the Western final where they'll face either the Lakers or the Golden State Warriors. And in hockey last night, it was uh, 
Actually, home ice did make the difference last night in hockey. I mean, Carolina in overtime was able to win last night uh, and knocked out the uh, New Jersey Devils. Uh, and the Dallas Stars now up three games to two, heading back to Seattle. They won 5-2 over the Seattle Kraken last night. So home ice did mean something last night in the NHL. A home court meant nothing in the NBA as Denver won at Phoenix and the Celtics won in Philadelphia. Then there's, uh, okay, it's okay, Matt, sorry, but the Rays won again. They beat the Yankees 8-2. to not, uh, not really a great night across the board. Uh, the NFL schedule out in its entirety. What's interesting about the NFL schedule is this: is I was always under the impression, and I think it was, I think they've taken for some reason, even though they have more weeks to play with and more primetime games, everybody gets a primetime game. Uh, that didn't happen uh, with all of this, um, and there are several uh, teams like the Texans, for example, the Cardinals, that did not get a primetime game. And uh, so you've got the schedule put out. We all know Detroit is going to face Kansas City um, in the opener at Arrowhead. And we already know that the Bills and Jets will play the Monday night game. Um, And... It is, I mean, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, they always pick out winners and losers. <laughs> As to who ends up being a winner and a loser in the schedule reveal. I mean, I mean who knows who's going to be. I can tell you right now, the Giants are in a tough spot. They have to play seven of the first ten games on the road. The oddity is, is that one of the home games is with the Jets. If it had been flipped, where the Giants were technically the road team, then it wouldn't have mattered. In other words, oh, 7 out of 10, but one of them is the Jets. It's at midlife. Turns out they got 7 out of 10, and the Jets happens to be a home game for the Giants. So that's that's how that played out. Um, and and the uh, that's that's the interesting part of all that. So that's how uh, you have, and the Giants and Cowboys, by the way, and it turns out that the home, the opener for the Giants is at home uh, with the Cowboys to start out on Sunday night football. And the Eagles open, and we already mentioned what the Eagles' schedule happens to be. And we went through that yesterday, the Eagles' schedule, and what they were able to do. Uh, but very quickly, um, you've got... Um, Christmas Day, Giants and Eagles. Um, meanwhile, the uh, Bengals will face the Chiefs on New Year's Eve. And you got Carolina and Houston that will be facing each other with the top two draft picks at quarterbacks. At quarterback, I should say. Jacksonville's going to play two games in London. Um, there are 14 playoff rematches from last season. That's the most in the season in NFL history. Now you also have a 17-game schedule, so there's more opportunities to do that. Eagles and Chiefs play Week 11 in a rematch of the Super Bowl, and you know that's what you have. Intriguing matchups: Niners, Phil, and Eagles Week 13. Eagles and Chiefs Week 11. Uh, Cincinnati and Kansas City Week 17. Uh, Chiefs and Jets Week 4. And that game's at MetLife. 
Lions and Chiefs, I mentioned that as the opener. Um, so you've got a lot of Aaron Rodgers out there. Uh, they played heavily on that. Uh, let's see, Bills Chargers Week 16. Giants and Eagles Week 16 at the link. Uh, Bills and Dolphins Week 18 uh, down in Miami. Uh, Chiefs Chargers Week 18, that should be really good. Uh, the Bengals have, it looks like, an a good start out of the gate because they've got uh, games with the Browns, Ravens, Rams, Titans, and Cardinals through the first five weeks of the season. Believe it or not, Jacksonville has a chance. I mean, they've got the Chiefs and the Bills in the opening month, but they also have the Colts twice, the Texans, and the Falcons. Saints, not bad. Only one of their first six opponents made the playoffs last year. And that was Tampa Bay, and we all know that the Bucks at 8-9 and nine got in last year with Tom Brady at quarterback. They don't have that anymore. Atlanta, they have a chance to actually get out of the gate. Their opponent's winning percentage last year, 417. So they've got a shot. And Green Bay, with Jordan Love at quarterback, they have winnable games with Chicago and Atlanta out of the gate. And they don't face a team that made the playoffs until week eight when they take on the Vikings. That's the first one. Okay? Ones that have tough starts. I already mentioned the Giants. Okay? Seven of the first ten on the road. Fourth hardest schedule overall. Now, the Eagles have, percentage-wise, the toughest schedule at 566. Patriots. Okay? They've got the Dolphins, Jets, and Cowboys along with the Eagles to open. Yeesh. I mean, not easy. And Detroit, you know, we mentioned they play at Kansas City. Well, they also come back home and they take on Seattle right out of the gate. Not good. Um, And so those are some of the schedule uh, parts that go to this that is uh, very interesting. And we should take, obviously, a... You got. You have to love the NFL. They take something as simple as the schedule release, and they turn it into a show and an event right out of the gate. So you got to give them a lot of credit for that. A lot of credit. Uh, they're going to put a new hotline in to report gambling issues. Sports Integrity Monitor has launched a tool to help athletes, coaches, and staff to anonymously report suspicious activity about gambling activities. And it's going to be called the Athlete Alert Powered by Real Response. It was announced by the U.S. Integrity, uh, by U.S. Integrity, a sports data integrity company that played a role in the ongoing investigation in what happened with Alabama baseball. So they're going to put that hotline in place. You can actually text uh, if you want. You can call it. And, of course, right now, Iowa and Iowa State acknowledging they're cooperating with both uh, local gaming uh, regulators, law enforcement, and the NCAA about suspicious activity involving athletes in multiple sports, including football, basketball, and wrestling. Uh, The Iowa director of gaming told the Associated Press earlier this week that there's no evidence, by the way, that indicates there was any game-fixing, match-fixing, or suspicious wagering on games that involved Iowa or Iowa State. But still... They're putting that together. Thursday at the uh, SBC Summit of North America, 
a major sports betting conference held in northern New Jersey. Scott Saden, who's the chief operating officer of U.S. Integrity, discussed the Alabama case, and he said, I think it was an illustration of how key stakeholders work together efficiently to identify a situation that warranted investigation. Well, let's face it, they broke that fast. They broke that fast, and they give them credit. They took it off the board in Ohio, took it off the board immediately in Indiana, in Pennsylvania, and I think in New Jersey as well. And this is about college baseball, and they took it off the board that fast. So that does tell you that there is a level of efficiency to the operation. Uh, John Steinbrecher, who's the commissioner of the uh, Mid-American Conference, uh, said that they have to always view data on betting patterns. He says something's goofy in the data and you have to dig into it. He said the regulation and oversight portion of this seems to be working pretty well. Uh, And... Again, I give them credit. They were able to go out and think about it. It's Alabama baseball. It would not be thought to be high on the chain of something you'd you'd be looking at betting-wise. And yet they got to it quickly. I mean, and that shows you that there is diligence and some efficiency to this. All right, got a lot coming up today. Today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. Imports, domestics, microbrews, best selection of beer anywhere, wine coolers, water, soft drink, snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. Pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills, indeed second to none. Back in the Sunbury Motors studio in a moment as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Party time, game time, or just fun time. Doesn't matter what time it is, because it's Brewers Outlet time. The Beverage Supermarket has the area's largest beer selection. Imports, microbrews, ciders, and domestics. Pick from over 100 ice-cold 12-packs and dozens of 24-ounce singles. Soda, snacks, hot sauces, fresh roasted peanuts. Make it one-stop party shopping, and don't forget the pickle bar. So whatever you're celebrating or just doing it up, Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street, Sunbury, wants to see you. And thank you for your years of patronage. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome back to today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket, imports, domestics, microbrews, the best selection of beer anywhere, wine coolers, water, soft drink snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. Six great flavors of slushies, pickle bar, light by the barrels and the dills, indeed, second to none. 
And we are in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kier, Woods 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. And always great to bring in the legendary Ray Dinninger. Ray, welcome back. Doing fine, Steve. How about yourself? Doing great. Thanks for asking. All right, so this is exciting news uh, when it comes to uh, Tommy and me because you are, it's not just the fact that it's back, but you've got a big-time actor that's going to play Tommy McDonald. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, Gordon Clapp, who uh, was on all 12 seasons of NYPD Blue, and in fact, uh, and what was a very good cast. I mean, David Caruso, Jimmy Smith, I mean, uh, David, uh, Dennis France. I mean, they had some really good people. Yes. Uh, and the only actor from that, that show that won an Emmy was indeed Gordon Clapp. So, um the Bucks County Playhouse in New Hope decided that uh, the run last year was so successful that they wanted to bring the play back again this year, and this time they wanted to do it as their own production. So they hired a, a different director, and they hired an all-new cast uh, of TV veterans and some Broadway people, uh, and they're bringing them in, and, uh, and we're going to do Tommy and Me all over again um, at the Bucks County Playhouse starting in just a couple of weeks, and we're going to have a we're going to be there for a full month. And uh, Gordon Clapp is. Uh, now I've gotten to know him. I never met him before until we started rehearsal. But he's a great guy. And as it turns out, even though he grew up in New England, uh, he grew up as a Tommy McDonald fan because you know he was he was the smallest kid in his neighborhood. He always you know wanted to play f- football with the big guys. And you know when he watched the NFL on TV back then in the '60s, he took a he took a liking to Tommy McDonald. And here he is getting the opportunity to play him on stage, and he's really excited about it. That that is that's tremendous. Uh... Because he, he still spends a lot of his time, I think, up in Vermont and in Boston uh, most of the time. Uh, and the fact that he, he uh, that he's a big Tommy McDonald fan, I think that's really cool. Yeah, it really is. I mean, when I met him, I fully expected that I was going to have to spend like a whole day explaining to him who Tommy McDonald was. And, right. uh, oh, no, no, no. He said to me, he said, no, when I was a kid, he, said, he was my favorite player. He said, I followed the Patriots. He said, but that was the early days of the AFL. But, you know, watching football <laughs> on TV, the guy that the guy that just uh, I couldn't take my eyes off of was Tommy McDonald. And he said, it's, it's really a kick to come down here and actually find myself playing him on stage. So uh, he's he's really into it, and, um, and he's a terrific actor. Uh, and, and you have to be. I mean, you don't have – they've only got three weeks to, to learn to play and rehearse it and get it on stage. So you have to be, you have to be pretty good to be able to do that. And, uh, and, and Gordon is, is – he's, he's as good as it gets. He's really, really good. You know what's interesting about that is that I, too, grew up in New England, and I, too, grew up when it was the AFL. So the Boston Patriots were like, eh, you know, okay, fine. And even though the training camp was 20 miles from where I grew up, but when it came to the Eagles, Tommy McDonald was the guy I looked at. <laughs> That's the weird part about that. That his story mirrors my story. Yeah, I well, ever since I ever since, you know, I wrote Tommy and Me, which goes back to 2016 now. Uh, you know, we produced it every year since then with the exception of 2020, which was the COVID year. Uh, but we keep bringing it back and every time we bring it back, I keep running into people that from all over the place. I mean, in Philadelphia, it's a given. I mean, that he's he's still worshipped sure. here. But I keep running into people and say, you know, I'm not even from here. You know, I'm from New York, or I'm from Ohio, or, you know, I'm from Dallas, or, you know, but, uh, you know, watching football in the 60s when pro football became a thing on TV, yes. uh, oh, yeah, my favorite player was Tommy McDonald. And I fully understand that. I mean, he was, you know, he was, the mo- he was not only one of the best players of that era, but one of the most colorful because of his size, because of his hustle, because, you know, just 
just because of his feistiness. Uh, you know, the last guy not to wear a face mask. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, he yes. just he had a magic about him that uh, that attracted people. Whether you were an Eagles fan or not an Eagles fan, you he was he was a guy that you tuned in every week to watch. What do you think he would think of all this? Oh, I know because he, you know, Tommy lived long enough to see the play. Yeah, uh, but he got, yeah. the, you know, he got to come and see it in the first year when we staged it in 2016, and he, he couldn't believe it. I mean, he really couldn't believe seeing his life story brought to the stage. It, uh, it just, it just really blew him away, uh, and. Um, it was. It was. You know, he he only got to see it live and in person the one time, uh, but you know when it was over. I mean, he stayed in the theater for about. You know, it had to be an hour and a half after the show, uh, posing for pictures and signing autographs and uh, just loving the attention. I mean, he was in his 80s by then, and you know, not in the best of health. Uh, but the opportunity to come out and see his life story on stage, see a lot of his highlight moments played on the screen, uh, and then afterwards just bask in the glow of it. I mean, he he just loved it. And, you know, when, before he left that day, he gave me a hug and he said, boy, you did me a great favor. You let me be Tommy McDonald again, which was, you know, that's probably the nicest thing anybody said ever since we started doing this. You've seen various actors play this out. Now, it's a play, so there are lines they have to... Have you seen various ways that they've delivered it and their own sort of interpretation, but using the same words? Um, yeah. yeah, well, only two actors have done it. it uh, for the, uh, the the first six years that we did it, it was, it was an actor named Tom Teddy, who is a Philadelphia-based actor, uh, and he did all the other runs. And now this time it's going to be Gordon is going to be doing okay. it. Uh, but the but the advantage we have with both of them is that, uh, as I told you, Gordon, even though he grew up in New, in New England, uh, grew up a Tommy McDonald fan, and Tom Teddy, the actor who played him for the first six years, is from Philadelphia and was going to the Eagles games at Franklin Field as a kid with his family, uh, and Tommy McDonald was his favorite player. So, mm. you know, so both of these guys are coming to it, you know, with, with a full knowledge and appreciation of who Tommy McDonald was and, um, and really, really excited about doing it. And, you know, as, uh, as Gordon said to me the other day, he said, well, he said, the last thing I just finished doing a couple weeks ago was I was doing a one-man Robert Frost play. Uh, on tour, uh, and he said, "Now I come to this." He said, "I can, I can tell you right now that Tommy McDonald is a lot more fun than Robert Frost." <laughs> no doubt about that. <laughs> no, I know President Kennedy loved Robert Frost, but this is more fun. Okay, <laughs> all right. No, no doubt about that. Yeah, uh, a lot more fun. When you wrote this. Did you ever envision it would have a one-month run and would have continued runs that would lead up to a one-month run? No, uh, no, I, di I didn't, Steve. I, uh, you know, when I when I wrote it, I mean, I had never written a play before, so I didn't even know if it was ever going to ever going to be be done even once. You know, I mean, uh, I wrote it because I just kind of I, I I really loved the story. It was something that I lived. You know, he was my favorite player as a kid. Um, you know, I got his autograph when I was 10 years old. Um, you know, he let me carry his helmet as he walked to the practice field. And it was the start of a friendship that continued on. And then it evolved when I became a sports writer and a sports journalist and a Hall of Fame voter. Uh, I found myself in a position to try and and get him the one thing that he wanted most in life, which was yeah. a spot in the Hall of Fame. And so, you know, that that's kind of, that's really kind of the the whole story is how how this little this little kid who gets handed the guy his hero's helmet 
when he's 10 years old, is leading the fight to try and get his hero into the Hall of Fame. And then when he finally does get voted in in 1998, uh, yeah. he asked me to be his presenter. So we, we there we are sharing that moment on the steps of the Hall of Fame together. It was such a, it was such a neat story. I wanted to tell it. I just wasn't exactly sure what was the best way to tell it. So I got this idea. Let me try it as a play. And, um, I, you know, when we did it in 2016, I was thrilled, and I thought, wow, this what a great experience. What a great three weeks. We sold out the house every night. You know, Tommy and his family got to see it. I mean, it was, it was really wonderful. It was really, really one of the highlights of my life, to be honest with you. But I really thought that was it. You know, I kind of thought, you know, when we, the, the last night when they took down the set and they packed up the props and put everything away, I figured that was kind of the end of it. And, wow, well, it wasn't that fun. And then, you know, well, then it came, came back the next year, and then it came back the next year, and then other theaters heard about it and they wanted it and you know last year we actually brought it to Hershey as you know um, yes. and we uh, you know we got to do it in the Hershey theater uh, which was really cool because Hershey was where I met Tommy for the first time because that's where the Eagles had their training camp in the mm-hmm. 1950s and so we, we did it at the Hershey theater and we had almost a thousand people there for one of the shows including Dick and Carol Vermeil. <laughs> so yeah. um, I mean it is it's been a wonderful experience Steve that has gone far beyond I think everybody's expectations and certainly mine. If I recall how the Hall of Fame voting works, that when you get into the room, somebody has to get up and talk about said individual as to what they think their credentials happen to be. Correct. Now, I will I will assume that you were the person that got up in front of the group and talked about his credentials. I did. And I, and, and I did. What, it fell on, it what, fell on me to do that, yes. Yeah, yes. What did you tell them? Uh, I, I kept it, uh, you know, I played it straight. You know, I didn't go into the whole boyhood hero thing. I didn't mm-hmm. go into, well, you know, when I was 10 years old, I carried his helmet and got right. his autograph. Because I, sure. I felt like that would somehow weaken his case. If I came off like a fanboy, I didn't right. think that the other voters would take me seriously. Um, so I, I didn't even bring any of that stuff up. I mean, I just played it straight, you know, with his stats, which were plenty. I mean, <laughs> at that time, I mean, he was he had the sixth most catches of anybody in NFL history. He had the fourth most yards, and he had the second most touchdowns. Um, so I thought it was a pretty easy catch case to make, and I, and I couldn't really understand why 15 years after he retired, he had never even been a finalist. Um, so I got up and made the pitch, and uh, um, yeah, and you know, I thought this is a, this, I thought this was a layup. You know, I didn't think there was any way he wasn't going to make it, and they took the vote, and he, he wasn't even a finalist again. And I, I, I mean, it just broke my heart, because I felt like, well, you know, I let him down. And it was, uh, it was another 10 years of just writing letters and calling people on the phone and and stuff and campaigning that got him back on the ballot in 98 and then in 98 he finally finally did get in and uh, 30 years after he retired uh, and it was a long wait and a lot of disappointments along the way but but he finally got in and when he got in he asked me to be his presenter and that weekend was one I'll tell you I'll never forget how long I mean you're a writer how long did it take you to write that speech and how many times did you practice it before you delivered it in Canton? Oh, oh man! Um, it, it took me you know, a good two months to write my speech uh, because I was told. Um, well, we were all told. All the presenters were told that we we had four minutes. Right. They were. We were told that the presenters had four minutes and the inductees had six minutes. Um, so I wanted to make those four minutes count. And, um, you know, I, I wrote and rewrote that speech, oh, it had to be 20 times. 
um, and uh, and then, but then you have to get up and deliver it, you know. And you're and you're there at this podium on the steps of the Hall of Fame, and you you get up there at the microphone, and you look to your left, and you know there's Ray Nitschke and Roger Staubach and Gail Sayers and Dick Butkus, and you look to your left, and there's you know Bob Lilly and <laughs> you know yeah. Bill George and Mike Singletary, and uh, you know I mean you're you're surrounded by and these are the, the greatest players that ever played this game, you know, and they're all sitting on chairs around you looking at you and um, I mean if you have any sense of the history of the game or if you revere the history of the game the way I do uh, to be in that position and then given the speech for the guy who is your boyhood idol uh, mm-hmm. it's you know I mean it's one of the few times in my life that I can honestly say I felt my knees shaking when I got up to the microphone and you know I got through it uh, thank goodness but it was uh, it, it was really uh, an unforgettable moment, and then of course introducing Tommy, and then the hug that we had, and then watching him go up to the microphone and give the speech that no one will ever forget um, mm-hmm. was uh, that that was that was quite a weekend. I've, there's not a time that I've gone back to the Hall of Fame since then, and I've been back a number of times, including including last year for Dick Vermeil, that uh, the people don't recognize me and say, oh, wait, you were the guy that presented Tommy McDonald. And they start talking about, you know, Tommy getting up with the boom box and dancing to Staying Alive and all the crazy all the crazy stuff that he did that no one had ever done before and no one will ever do again. But, I mean, that was 1998, and the people in Canton are still talking about it. Uh, one of the, um, I think, little-known things about Tommy is that he, he owned Tommy McDonald Enterprises. And it was, and he was, you know, he he did not paint himself. I mean, he no. had people create. He had people that created this stuff, and so forth. But what what got him into that? That said to him, he says, "Okay, this is an enterprise I want to be in." I mean, he had a Joe DiMaggio portrait that sold for four thousand dollars that that one of his people painted. Yes, yes. Um, it was um, when he was playing for the Rams. Uh, after he had left Philadelphia and uh, went to Dallas, the Dallas traded him to the Rams. He went out to the Rams and and had a couple of really really good years with the Rams. I mean, he and he and Roman Gabriel really had it cooking there for a few years in L.A. Uh, and so he became real popular out on the West Coast. And one day he was coming out of practice and there was a guy standing in the parking lot waiting for him and he had painted an oil portrait of Tommy. Uh, and he said, I, you know, I love watching you play. You're my favorite player. And here, uh, you know, I'm an artist, and I painted this portrait, and it's yours. And he gave it to Tommy, and Tommy said, wow, this is beautiful. Uh, and then the guy gave him his card and said, if I can ever do anything for you, let me know. And then, you know, Tommy brought it home, and he hung it up. And, he, and it had occurred to him, you know, athletes and, you know, celebrity-type people, you know, they get they get trophies all the time. They get plaques all the time. They get framed photographs all the time. I mean, Tommy's house was full of it. But he said, you know, this is different. You know, a, a really beautiful oil portrait of you, you know, nobody gets these. So he got the idea of just, you know, hey, listen, why don't we, do, you know, make a business out of this? Uh, so he called the guy back and asked if he was interested. And the guy said, yeah. And he said, well, we'll partner in this. And, you know, and, and you're the artist and I'm the marketer. And so Tommy went around and, and to all of his different sports contact said, hey, instead of handing a guy a plaque this year, have, give him an oil portrait. And and so that's how it started, and it just grew and grew and grew. Uh, and, gee, I mean, by the time Tommy went in the Hall of Fame in 98, he was, he was was his company was doing the, all the oil portraits for all the Heisman Trophy winners. He was doing all the all the oil portraits for all the Supreme Court justices, uh, doing them for all the Maxwell Club winners and all the Miss Americas. 
Um, so it became, I mean, it became a very, very successful career for him, even after football. One final question about him. Everybody knows that Tommy was not big in stature. He was only about 5'9", maybe 175, 180 pounds. Not quite. 172 on a good day. 172 on a good day. But ultra, ultra talented with impeccable instincts. How much do you think uh, people were attracted to him because he looked like the everyday guy? Oh, that was a big part. Of, oh, Steve, that was a big part of it. I mean, that was a big part of it. I know that's why so many kids, like when I first when I first crossed paths with them, I was ten. But every kid in Philadelphia loved Tommy McDonald. I mean, we were all Eagles fans. But I mean, you, I mean, as a kid, you couldn't, as you know, you admired Chuck Bednarik, but you couldn't relate to Chuck Bednarik. Right. I mean, he was, yes. you know, I mean, he was in his thirties, and he had, you know, and he was, and he was huge. Um, but everybody could relate to Tommy. Uh, in fact, I remember when I first met him the locker room at Hershey, and I was waiting for him, uh, and he was just a rookie then, 1957. When he came out, I was 10 years old, and he wasn't much bigger than me. At least it didn't seem that way. I mean, all the other guys that were coming out, I mean, were just enormous in their pads and all that stuff. And he came out, and he, first of all, he looked like he was about 15 years old, uh, and he wasn't much bigger than I was. So um, I think that's a big part of it, is that you see this guy who looks so ordinary. He looks like the, you know, he looks like the guys you're going to school with. He looks like the guys that are in the playground ground with you but yet he's he's the most explosive receiver in the league and you look at his stats back in those days uh i mean just amazing the 1960 season is probably the best example uh he only caught it was a, only a 12 game season he caught 39 passes but 13 of them were for touchdowns right. uh, his ratio of touchdowns per reception uh are the third high, are still to this day the third highest in all of football the only two guys that have a higher ratio of TDs to catches are Don Hudson, who played for the Packers back in the 30s, and Paul Warfield. Uh, and then Tommy's right there in the top three. And uh, those numbers will stand up. Those numbers will stand up in any era. Well, this is going to take place uh, at the Bucks County Playhouse. It'll start the 19th of May, run through June 17th. Gordon Clapp will start in it. Nick Corley's going to direct it. Right. And the heart and soul of it is Ray Dittinger, who will tell you that Tommy's actually the heart and soul of it, but that's, you know. Oh, he, he is and both, always will be. Uh, and one both, of the interesting, both, one of the fun things about it is that sure. his, his children and his grandchildren keep coming back every year. <laughs> I mean, his, 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 kids, his kids and his grandkids come back every single year, Chris and Tish and Sherry and Tommy Jr. I mean, they come back every year. And the guys in the cast this year, because it's a whole new cast, uh, I told them that, and they can't wait to meet the McDonald family. And the McDonald family's really excited about coming and meeting them. Um, and they're great. I mean, I was talking to them last year when we played Bucks County, and, uh, you know, Chris, who's his oldest son, who later played at the University of Delaware, um, mm-hmm. you know, said to me, he said, you know what, what the great thing about your play is it's kept Dad alive for us. Which I mean, I had never, I had never really thought about it that way. But I, I can see that now that every year they can come back and see this play, and it's like, it's like they get to spend those few hours with their father again, which is really a beautiful thing. Well, it's always a beautiful thing to catch up with you and talk about this. So thank you so much for the time you gave us today. Always appreciate it, and uh, we know this is going to be another huge success. People love it. 
Yeah, they sure do, and they keep coming back, and I hope they come back again this year. Uh, the Bucks County Playhouse in, in New Hope, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful theater right on the Delaware River, and if you can come on out, we open May 19th, we run through June 17th, so hopefully, even if you got to see it before, it's an all-new production with some great actors, so please come out and see us. Ray, wonderful. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Steve. Always a pleasure. Ray Didinger, the great Hall of Famer. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Okay.